The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. It is Drew here with Josh and Connor as usual to catch you up on a wild, wild week in the world of Major League Soccer and some North American action with Gold Cup still going on. So we have a lot of soccer to catch you up on and talk about the next coming week of soccer. So super excited for this episode. Thanks as always for tuning in and listening to us. And before we get into the fun world of MLS. It's been seven days since we talked, fellas. It's been a wild seven days with a lot of stuff going on. Um, So I guess, Connor, I'll start with you. I don't think I've started with you in a while. How has the past week been treating you? NHL is kind of going crazy right now with Seattle's expansion draft. How's how's NHL treating you? How's life been treating you so far this week? It is a wild, wild time as a hockey fan. Um, Roster freeze happened this past weekend, which is why there were tons of trades and stuff before the Seattle expansion draft, as you mentioned, uh, which happens Wednesday night, which we're recording this Tuesday night. So it'll have happened by the time you're listening to this probably. Uh, but yeah, still going. It was my birthday this past week. So had that happen. Um, hey, happy, happy birthday. birthday. Late birthday. Thank you. Thank you. I try to hide it. Yeah, uh, clearly, but I do a very good job of it. Um, so got a new little mixer thing, which I'm very excited for uh, I'm get, and am getting to use, but I won't get to use it fully on this podcast. This will be a more of my other podcast. You can check it out where I'll be able to use some of the more effects and stuff, um, but excited to do that. And we're hoping for the Maasai Ujiri extension today because the Raptors teased something would happen today, but it was just a bunch of NFTs. So very disappointing, but I had a better week than Josh, I think, at least on Twitter, because you had a hell of a time, but we'll get into that later. H- apart from your Twitter experience, Josh, how has the la- past week been treating you? Oh, it's been a roller coaster of emotions. Um, <laughs> since we last recorded last Tuesday, I, I've been teaching most of the time. I taught Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, yesterday, today. And I'll be teaching the rest of this week. So that's been taking up most of my time. Um, and then the weekend was good. I 
got to play uh, soccer again, which I haven't been able to do much of recently because my work schedule has been kind of conflicting, so that was nice. And then I went to the Atlanta United game on Saturday, which was an experience. <laughs> I'll, I'll get into that <laughs> later. Uh, it was definitely a unique experience. It was very, very interesting. Um, they lost, so that I think I've been to... I've been to somewhere around 40 games and I think I've only seen like five losses from LA United, which is, that's just insane. So that just shows you how like few times, like how rare of an instance that is, but that happened <laughs> to our, our beloved new England revs as drew continues to rep them on our podcasts. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was pretty much the gist of it. Um, other than that, I just, tried to relax as much as I could. I was, I was lucky to have Saturday and Sunday off from work and from teaching. So definitely took advantage of that. But yeah, other than that, just craziness with Atlanta United has definitely been, I think on everybody's minds, um, here in Atlanta for the most part, Braves are weird. They're struggling and, oh yeah, I guess Acuna tore his ACL. That, that happened since we recorded. So that is like devastating. I can't, I'm so over it, man. I'm so over it. That happened and then the Joseph news happened and it's like Trey Young and the weird thing about stepping on a ref and Joseph tearing his ACL last year and trading away Julio Jones. And it's just like, is this worth it? <laughs> is all this pain worth it? Like we were so close to getting to the NBA finals. That would have made it worth it. Like maybe Atlanta United can turn around and it'll make it worth it. Maybe the Braves can turn around and make it worth it. But other than United's 2018 MLS cup, which feels like farther and farther away, the more bad things happen to the club. It's just so much pain, <laughs> so much pain. What are we going to say? Don't worry. It'll all get better once you sign John Collins to a $30 million con per year contract because somebody else has offered it and you don't want to give him up for nothing. You know, <laughs> I saw there was some reporting that uh, like three teams want to offer him the max. And as soon as I saw that, I sent that to this basketball chat I'm in. And I was like, bye, JC, with like a frowny face. Because there's no, there's no way we're hanging on to him in a max contract. But that's something to stress about at a later date. Drew, how is how has your week been? Um, did Nash? Yeah, Nashville was at home this past weekend, right? So you got to cover them, which that's a game we'll talk about a little bit later because of a spectacular performance from Hani Mukhtar. But what was that game like, and how has your week been, and what are you preparing for tonight? Yeah, so we'll lead up to the tonight. Um, but yeah, the Nashville game was cool. Got to see Mukhtar hat-trick in 16 minutes, which is really fun as a fan, but as someone who's working in social and the one typing out Facebook posts and stuff, it sucks. So I really wish they would have calmed down on that one. But no, it was awesome. Uh, three bangers. And it was a fun game to be a part of. Uh, it was the largest crowd to date that the team has had, 22,000 people in Nissan Stadium. So that was good. It was a fun win. Um, but yeah, another game tomorrow on the road at Columbus. And then a game at home again this weekend hosting Cincinnati. And the summer's kind of running by. I have about a month left here before rushing back to Athens and going back to the old University of Georgia. So, yeah, enjoying the last month here I got with some soccer. And currently right now I'm watching Japan and Australia kick off the 2020 Olympics um, before I try to become a psychopath and attempt to get up in the morning to watch the U.S. Women's National Team game against Sweden, which for you guys... You're not doing that. Which for, doing 
I can guarantee you you're not doing that. Which for you guys <laughs> will kick off at... Oh my god, it's 3.30 for you. 4.30, 3.30 for me. So I'm going straight to bed after this in hopes that I wake up. I have some friends that in the in the club that I think are going to send me wake-up texts because we're all going to we're all trying to wake up and watch this game. See, but, I was I was under the impression when you said that that you were waking up at 4:30 cuz I totally forgot that you're an hour behind and like I was already kind of kind of worried for you, but now like, oh my gosh, dude, if you pull this off. Yeah. Drew, just don't sleep if you're going to do this. Just don't sleep. See, that's like, the that's the. I mean, if I don't sleep, I get to watch the U.S. softball team because they are about to start after this Japan-Australia game, which would be nice. But also have a Columbus game later tomorrow night, so I'm gonna be living off like five hours of sleep and a ton of coffee. So five hour, just take five hour energies consistently. <laughs> that might be a good call. I've never had one of those. That's not a good call. Don't do that. Hey, if you drink five in one sitting, that means you get 25 hours of energy. I never need sleep again. (laughs) I figured it out. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so that's happening. The Olympics have started. I'm super pumped about it. Get to see the U.S., see if they can win gold. Also excited to see what Canada's going to do because Canada's always a good team and a lot of good teams in the Olympics. So I'm pretty pumped about it. Do you know anyone working the Olympics? Like from, I don't. That would no? be awesome, though. Do you know someone okay. working in the Olympics? A few people in my program are doing stuff for the CBC. That's uh, sick. Like runners and stuff. So that's dope with my program. Um, that's interesting. I guess Georgia is more like big broadcasters, not government run. Yeah, so. I guess so. It's a weird. It's a weird. You know, it's a weird world, and people bounce it's, around all yeah. the time. Yeah, Canada plays tomorrow a little later, or a little earlier, 6.30 Eastern. Canada plays Japan, so maybe get up and get to watch Christine Sinclair dominate as usual. But yeah, Olympics have going on, super pumped about that, as well as MLS Gold Cup and things like that. But before we get into all that fun stuff of the wild world of Major League Soccer, I wanted to take a quick reminder about Manscaped's newest product, the Lawnmower 4.0, which is included in their Performance Package 4.0. Manscaped, we've been talking about them a little bit, uh, phenomenal products, really awesome technology with their razors and everything that comes with the package to help take care of your body. And we have a special listener, special offer for our listeners. Uh, You can get the Performance Package 4.0 for 20% off and free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. Again, that is FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping on Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. So we encourage our listeners to take advantage of that special offer and get a really awesome product with free shipping and a lower price. So guys, before we get into... Connor, I, wanna, you- I have another question about the Olympics. How are they playing games before the opening ceremonies? That feels very I don't know, wild. man. I wonder if that's a normal that's thing. Because, yeah, they just started a couple, like, an hour ago, and the opening ceremonies are Friday. God, it feels so wrong. It feels, just feels Yeah, it just wrong. feels fake. Uh, whatever. That's our own complaints about the Olympics, and we won't even get into that. That's the, the only thing wrong yeah, with the Olympics. The yeah, that. Uh, but let's dive into some stuff also outside of North America, consisting to consisting to consisting of our North Americans abroad. Probably the two, there were really only two massive stories this week with North Americans abroad. Um, because I don't think we mentioned this, but we probably should have 
Conrad de la Fuente, he transferred from Barcelona to somewhere, I think. Yeah, Marseille. We, we, we touched I think on it was that. The episode that you missed, Connor. We we oh, briefly mentioned okay. it. Um, but yeah, yeah, we we did we got that one at least. Because I asked okay. Josh how to pronounce Marseille. <laughs> Good, Marseille. Right. So that's why I don't remember us doing that. Got it. That popped into my head beforehand that we'd never talked about it. The really big news involving MLS players, though, was Tanner Tesman going from Dallas to Ven- uh, Venezia, and Busio looking like he's also going to go from Sporting KC to Venezia. Vastly different transfer fees, Tesman being only $4 million, Busio reportedly potentially upwards of $10 million, 10 to $11 million sort of thing. Uh, but I think that's with add-ons, so I'm not sure what the initial fee is. But two young MLS talents going to a club that's gotten promotion to Syria, which is a pretty big deal. Um, so what do you guys think about these transfers? Obviously, Busio has been rumored to be going abroad for months now, but Tesman kind of came out of the blue, I think. So were you a bit surprised to see Tesman get transferred uh a little bit we kind of touched on it i think last week but testman like really hasn't gotten a full year under his belt with fc dallas um because he signed with the team at the beginning of the 2020 season and obviously we know there was the huge pause um and i'm not sure i think he made an appearance before the league shut down um and then he you know he, he played pretty consistently um, I don't remember if he factored that much at the actual MLS. Oh, no, of course he didn't play at the MLS's back tournament because Dallas didn't participate in the tournament. <laughs> so that's why I don't remember him making any noise there. Um, yeah. But as for the rest of the season, he definitely, you know, he, he became a consistent player for them, got his first cap with the U.S. Men's National Team in the winter. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's still, that's not a full season under his belt at Dallas, which that part of it to me is is pretty insane. Um to me, I'm just more like surprised at the team that these players are going to because, you know, if a month ago you'd say you tell me, oh, Tessman and Busio are going to Serie A. Well, then it's like, oh, OK, like which team? I'm definitely not guessing Venezia. Like I'm going to guess a bunch of other teams, probably, especially with McKinney going to Juventus and Reynolds going to Roma. Um, so I'm more surprised at kind of their destination. And I, I mentioned this when we talked about Tessman, but I am a little worried about what they can do with a team that has been newly promoted. Um, we saw Reggie Cannon play for a struggling team this past season in Portugal with Boa Vista. Uh, they nearly got relegated. We've seen Anthony Robinson be on a team that did get relegated with Fulham in the Premier League um, in England. So hopefully these guys aren't like in too much of a fight and hopefully they can impress while they're over there and and you know we'll see them maybe move on to a bigger team, maybe help Venezia compete in Serie A. That would be pretty cool if they just stayed out of relegation danger entirely. But I think, you know, I'm more surprised that Tesman hasn't gotten a full year and that Venezia is the destination. Drew, what do you think about Tesman and Busio going over there? Yeah, pretty similar thoughts to what you said, Josh. And just to put some numbers on Tesman, he has appeared in seven games for Dallas. He has started six times and he was subbed off four of those seven Four of those six times he started, he was a sub-off. So, yeah, he's only appeared in seven games. So he hasn't appeared a lot for Dallas. Um, and like you said, Connor, it, came, it kind of came out of nowhere. Busio, we were kind of waiting for. But what's really exciting, I think, 
looking at Venezia's roster right now, a transfer market, if Busio, which it's in the very final final documents getting signed stage, I think it's like 99% done, and people are just accepting that's going to happen. Um, but according to our wonderful friends at Transfer Market, Busio has a market value of $6.6 million, and that is clear-cut the highest market value on the current roster right now. I think the next highest is like $3.3 million, and I think it's a midfielder that plays the same position as Busio. So that's really interesting that the club's spending money, more money than they really have before, and it's on a young American. And like you said, they're trying to stay out of relegation because I think we talked about it last week that it's really hard for teams that newly get promoted to stay in the league very long because they're going to be fighting relegation for a while. So I'm really excited about it. Busio feels like he's been waiting for this move for a while. And um, Testament kind of came out of nowhere, but really excited for both of them. Again, two young American MLS players making their way to a big club in Europe. You, sorry, I wanted to just say one small thing. I am a little nervous about these two guys going to the same team only like this is irrational, by the way, this is completely irrational. I accept this only because when Jordan Morris and Paul Ariola went to the same team together, they both got <laughs> injured one for the entire season. And then Ariola to the point where he didn't even end up making any sort of impact. So there's a small okay. part of my brain that's like freaked out about two Americans going to the same team at the same time. <laughs> No, just I know, I know. It's not, no, it's not rational. They, I admit that, but it is a tiny. It's not tiny, even tiny a good word. comparison. It's not <laughs> even not? a good comparison. Why not? Because two of those players are in their mid to late twenties and injury prone, and these two are two young players who really haven't suffered any serious injuries in their career. But what I wanted to ask you before um, we sort of move on is, why is Venezia? going after these players. Is there an American connection with the team? Yeah, they have American ownership. That explains a lot. Yes. Um, which could be a good thing. Uh, maybe Venezia becomes a new middle player, middle ground for MLS talent, young MLS talent between Europe and uh, MLS. But I think having those players and players of that caliber move on, huge. Uh, for MLS's growth and huge for the youth. Not so huge for SKC, who, well, they're probably going to struggle with that Busio, but who cares? Uh, let's dive into some MLS action because we have a lot to get to, uh, especially with the games and everything that's happened. But I'm going to save this. We're going to finish with it. Actually, do we want to finish with it? How I, fired up are you guys? I am ready to go now. <laughs> All right. I'm just tired. <laughs> I have so, so many tired. freaking thoughts about this dumpster fire of a... All right, before you go, uh, first of all, Drew, that bodes well for you staying up and going to bed and waking up for the at 3.30 in the morning. Atlanta United did something good for me this year. I appreciate it, fellas. It's great. Uh, but, of course, what we're talking about is Atlanta United firing Gabriel Heinze after 13 matches... Both of these guys are furious, uh, so we're going to have some great content, and I'm going to make so much fun of them. It's going to be great. Uh, but quick sort of summary of what sort of happened. You lost on the weekend again. You have two wins this season, which is tied with Toronto FC, which says a lot. Um, after the firing, reports came out that the MLSPA had filed a couple of complaints or a few complaints or a complaint uh, against Heinze and that managing group. Um, from there, 
more came out involving Heinze refusing water to the players and a disagreement with the medical staff. And it got progressively, it's just grown from there. But after sort of giving that bit of a breakdown, you two fall at Lance United very closely. You're very upset, as I've said. Um, but what are your thoughts on the Heinze firing? Is this the right move? Who should be blamed for the firing? And try to do it without swearing. Josh. <laughs> okay, so let's back up for a quick second because there is one important aspect of this that Connor accidentally left out. And that is Heinze freezing out the club, the face of the club in Joseph Martinez. Yeah. So Sorry, I'm, ju- I'm just okay used to it with Chris Armas. Sorry, the- sorry. Theorle- I figured all clubs do it at this point. <laughs> Yeah, it's a normal thing, I guess, for Eastern Conference <laughs> powers. Um, theoretically, it had nothing to do with Heinze's firing, according to the club executives, but we all know that's complete crap. But So let's back up real quick. Joseph Martinez last plays for Atlanta United against Nashville in that 2-2 draw at the end of May. He goes off with Venezuela for international duty in the Copa America. Venezuela national team deals with a COVID outbreak. Turns out Joseph got COVID. He ended up not playing a single minute for Venezuela. They got knocked out. In the first round. You, you got to say why. I, I'll add that in in a second. Okay. But he ended up not playing a single minute. So when he came home and the media was told that he was training on his own, then President Darren Eels went ahead and said, oh, it's a fitness thing. He hasn't been playing. He needs to get his fitness up. He'll be back probably for the New England game. And this was like a week and a half prior. It was like right after the Nashville game, I think, or right before the day of whatever. And then a week goes by and July 15th rolls around the Thursday and Heinze finally speaks to the media. And all of a sudden he goes out and says, no, Joseph's very physically fine. It's a coach's decision. Now we have to remember that Heinze's style with the media is to be extremely vague. He doesn't like divulging anything to the press. He doesn't trust the press. This is how he's always been. This was known when he was hired. And so I kind of took it as, it's dangerous to assume. Well, the media went ahead and assumed that it was because Joseph and Heinze were at odds with each other. They're probably right. I think at this point we can assume that's a, a pretty fair assumption. Um, and then the very next day, Felipe Cardenas at the athletic went ahead and reported that Joseph told the club that this was his last year and that he was leaving after, after the season ended. And at that, at that point I was extremely depressed, very sad. Um, then the game happened and then ba- basically everything Connor said about, uh, the team not doing too well. They ended up losing to New England, and then Heinze got fired. I I know exactly who I want to blame, and I have some things that I want to add. But first, Drew, I want to hear your thoughts, um, especially with you being not necessarily in the area. Like I I've, I don't want to assume anything, but I feel like you know you're so involved with Nashville that you're not as in touch with Atlanta as you maybe are uh, normally. So what was it like for you seeing all this happening? And then like Connor asked, like, who do you blame for these issues? And do you think the firing was, do you think this was the right time to do this? Yeah. So from, like you said, kind of an outsider's view, but not really. It's a weird situation, right? Because so with Nashville, there's kind of this rivalry between Nashville and Atlanta, whether or not it's really a rivalry that remains to be seen, but 
Joseph is very much this, like the face of this franchise. It's kind of dominated the league and a lot of teams in a lot of cities don't like Atlanta, um, which is kind of fun to be on the side of things, being like the villain that wins and never experienced it. But anyway, so a lot of people really don't like Atlanta and to see the organization kind of crumble and for the reason that it is crumbling to be the face of the franchise being Joseph um, is very entertaining, I think, for a lot of people who don't like Atlanta United. And to be in the middle of that, people kind of like, oh, what's going on with Atlanta? Has the giant fallen? It's kind of just rough, and no one wants to do it. But, you know, so from the outsider's view looking in, it's been just a wild, like, what the heck is going on over there moment. Um, But, yeah, I think... You know, when it comes to the timing of it, it's interesting timing because the guy, Heinze, only had 13 matches. And like you said, two wins. One of them was a win against Montreal where Marcelino Marino got that last second header. And I think they beat Chicago pretty well. I think it was 3-1 or something like that. And I totally am blanking on how Atlanta United in Champions League. So the timing of it, I, I think my take on the timing of it is that this was incredibly... I don't know. I think if you had asked me before, I would have said this was incredibly early timing. Maybe a little too early, but given the news of, you know, water issues and being at odds with physio staff and things like that, maybe makes me think it wasn't too early, that maybe it was the right call. As far as who to blame for the firing, I think it's hard. This is the second manager at Lane United has had to fire in. A little over a year. I'm totally blanking on when they less fired Frank. Than less than 12 months, they have fired two managers. And that can't be... I mean, you mess up on one manager. Okay, it happens. He lasts a season. He leaves, whatever. But you can't... This never... When this happens, I can't... It's hard for me to believe that two managers could swing and miss this poorly. When So the way I look at manager hires, right, is that this is a process. There's a lot of names in the basket originally. And as you go down... The process, that list begins to shorten and shrink, and you kind of dig through names, and you figure out what's going to fit, who's going to fit, what the players are going to be like, what they're going to prefer, things like that. And as that list gets shorter and shorter, there's a lot of looking through resumes and looking through history that goes on. And I can't see how a club like Atlanta United looked through this went through this entire process twice, a very long and lengthy process, as I'm sure Darren Eels and Bocanegra would say it's a very hard and very annoying process to go through. But you did that twice, and you totally swung and missed twice in less than a year. Like, I don't see how that happens, that you did this whole vending process, you looked through so many resumes, talked to so many people, you talked to one of the greats, and you just ghosted him, and now he's mad at the club. And between this and I think Felipe Cardenas' report with The Athletic earlier that came out about, because I think when Felipe's article about Bocanegra kind not being, not having the best relationship with players broke, I think that kind of let the fan base know what's going on a little bit. Because before then, I didn't really think about anything about Bocanegra. But the front office has to be held accountable when you swing and miss at this important of a process twice in such a short time frame. Yeah, I... <laughs> It's 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 weird because like fans knew something was wrong with this club, right? Like 2020 made it super obvious. And I think Felipe's article with the Athletic kind of connected the connected the dots for fans because it was like 
we know something's wrong with the club, but why? Why is this happening? And and he kind of, you know, brought to light some issues. And I think Carlos Bucanegra is to blame for, for most of these. Now, for Heinze specifically, let's be honest, okay? And I'm going to own up to it, obviously, because I have to. I thought it was a great hiring. Most people thought it was a great hiring. I mean, like, like seriously, I don't know anyone that said this is a bad hiring. Like, there was no one that came out against it when it happened because on paper it seemed like it was going to be a great fit. And it's just very clear that it wasn't. It's very clear that, you know, the issues with Heinze and the, the little red flags that have cropped up, you know, when it comes to fitness and the way he does things and how isolated he keeps himself and his staff from the rest of the club and from the media, you know, obviously in hindsight, yeah, it was a bad hiring, but at the time, I don't think anybody could have foreseen what happened. But the real issue and the real root of the problem is Carlos Bocanegra. And to a point now, Darren Eels is also an issue. And I am growing increasingly concerned that Eels and Bocanegra are running this club into the ground and they are starting to go down a path that Atlanta United may not be able to come back from. And it all starts with player personnel. In hindsight, you know what? You know why Frank DeBoer won two trophies in his first year with the club? It's because he had an awesome freaking team at his, at his, uh, you know, at his disposal. That's the main, uh, the main issue here is this horrible player personnel. I truly believe if Heinze had had that team, you know, let, let's assume they hired Heinze instead of DeBoer. I think we would have seen an entirely different outcome. I think we would have seen more of a continuation of what Tata did because. All these issues with Heinze and the overtraining and the MLS Players Association filing grievances on behalf of the players, that happened with Tata. It happened three times in the season that they won MLS Cup. And I I think it's safe to assume that I'm sure some players took issue with Tata's methods to a certain extent, but the difference is those were really good players and they were winning. If Heinze and the team had been winning this season, I don't think this would have been an issue. If Heinze had been given the players that Tata had, I don't think this would have been an issue. But because the championship winning team from 2018 has been basically gutted, Heinze had nothing to work with. And so, you know, hindsight's 2020, but it's clear it was never going to work out in the first place because of that. And I think until Carlos... Barcanegra is gone and until Atlanta United can find someone who is actually good at bringing in the right talent and for the right price and handling those player relationships well then Atlanta United is going to continue to suck man it doesn't matter it doesn't matter this team that they have right now is not good enough not good enough and so as a as a fan of the club and for everything that they've done for me as a person and you know, what they've done to get me into soccer and how much I enjoy the sport right now as a whole. It's, it's super disappointing, and it's really, really sad. It makes me so, makes me so upset. Um, the game on Saturday, man, that was the least I've ever been looking forward to an Atlanta United game. And like I said, I've been to like 40 of them at this point, and I was kind of dreading going. I was worried attendance was going to be down. I was worried that fans weren't going to be as excited just because of the whole stuff with Joseph hanging over everybody's heads. Um, and yeah, man, it was just, it was a, uh, it was a super depressing time. I'll, I'll be honest. It was very, very uh, anxiety inducing uh, heading on towards the match. But yeah, I think with, like Drew said, with everything that's come out about Heinze now, after the fact, it was the right time to fire. 
Um, and it's so weird, man. Listening back to our podcast from last week, Connor hearing you talk about Ali Curtis be the issue, uh, you know, the root of the issue. Like he's the one who brought in Armis and, um, and now like thinking about Bocanegra being the one that's ruined this roster. Uh, it's so funny how both of our, our clubs, our first choice clubs, I should say, since Drew has half the league on speed dial, <laughs> uh, since, since our, you know, it's, it sucks watching our first choice clubs like destroy themselves like this. And I think these front offices, man, they just, they don't know how to figure any of it out at this point. I guess the next question, then the next logical question is who should the replacement be? I have a very slight feeling in my gut that this interim Rob Valentino is going to win the job. It might be very Nate McMillan esque. I don't know. But just from the things he said and the fact that he's been around the club for the last few years, he was there before DeBoer. He's been there after DeBoer. He was there before Heinze. He's still there after Heinze. So I think he's got a very good, um, he's got good bearings on what, where the club is at, how far they've fallen since they were, you know, the envy of the league. So I have a very, very tiny feeling that this interim might turn things around for Atlanta, might save their season, get them to the playoffs, and might get the starting job outright. Um, but other than that, it's like, for me at this point, what's the point of guessing? Because Heinze seems so perfect, and he was clearly the club's first choice, and he was like everybody's first choice. And for it to implode the way it has, I, don't, I almost don't even want to curse it. But that being said, Steve Trundolo, I want the club to take a look at Steve Trundolo. Drew, do you have any idea who you think Zinedine Zidane, maybe, <laughs> be the next manager of Atlanta United? Yeah, it's weird. And I think you said it. You're like cutting out like every other word on my end. So I might not be able to form complete sentences. But Same like here. you said. Dang it. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Um, but like you said, I mean, hindsight on paper, right, looked really, really good. And people who don't know a whole lot about soccer were talking to me and asking me about them. Like, oh, what should we expect? And I pretty much said this is going to be a little more like the Elaine United people are used to. This is going to be fun. This is going to be exciting. Um, and, yeah, it's going to be like Tata Martino 2.0. And I think there are, like, legitimate reasons to think that, right? The whole Bielsa tree, um, I think he played under Tata or coached with Tata, something like that. There's a connection there coming from South America. And on paper, it all made a whole lot of sense. And there's a lot of reason to be excited for Atlanta United. I don't even want to look back at where I put Atlanta in my table because everyone was expecting them to be really good between Marcelino Moreno, Santiago Sosa, getting Joseph back healthy. Everything looked great for Atlanta on paper. So if you're thinking about a manager Atlanta should hire, I mean, it's hard not to say look for someone like Heinze. Just don't overlook these crazy facts about not letting players gain weight and things like that and, you know, media things and stuff like that. So, I mean, on paper, really look for someone just like Heinze and just maybe vent a little harder and... You know, there was a quote I think Daniel said they want to get the higher, the right hire as quickly as possible, which I think Josh said in the Slack. It's kind of terrifying when you think about it. Um, but yeah, like you said, the interim, that might be interesting. A little Nate McMillan 2.0 action, taking over, carrying the Hawks, and we'll see what he can do with United. Um, I saw Doug Robertson with the Atlanta Journal Constitution here mention some college coaches would be really interesting. I think he mentioned Wake Forest's men's soccer coach. Um, 
Wake Forest obviously is where Michael Parkers came from, and he's obviously a super big deal with MLS and the club specifically. So on paper, I mean, really someone like Heinze would be awesome. Um, the college coach route would be awesome, but like you said, Josh, the interim would be cool. He's been with the club for a while. Um, seen nothing but positive tweets. Mike Conti, a media member here in Atlanta, said some really nice words about how well-respected he is at the club, and then you had some people from all over the league pretty much echoing Mike's statements that he wins the locker room, everyone respects him, everyone likes him. So we'll see what happens. Um, the interim would be a nice – Shout, um, I don't really, I can't really think of any case in Major League Soccer where the interim has taken over as a full-time head coach. I might be totally wrong, though, but that would be really interesting. Connor, from the outside, what do you think about Atlanta United? Fall, falling apart might be a generous way to put it, but what do you think about Atlanta? Kind of, Do you see any parallels between Atlanta and Toronto? Might be a better question here, but what do you think from the outside seeing Atlanta be in the situation that they're in right now? Oh, that's a good question. Takes a um, deep breath of joy. <laughs> no, because I do see parallels between what Toronto FC was under Chris Armas and what TFs, what Atlanta are right now. Um, I think knowing Atlanta, they're not going to hire a college coach. They're going to go big uh, because they always go big, but I saw on Twitter, like obviously people are talking about it. Uh, there's people are thinking they're going to go with, uh, MLS experienced coach. So I'm here to propose a deal for you. I will give you Chris Armas. Oh, no, no deal. No deal. No, 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 no. (laughs) You sure? Are you sure though? Absolutely. Yes. Very sure. Just stop. (laughs) All right. Uh, what about a Josie Altador for Joseph Martinez? No, no. You just got even oh, more okay. ridiculous. All right, time to move on. So <laughs> you said that. No, I have a really eight. interesting question I want to ask Connor. I think, what has been the worse hire, Chris Armas or Gabriel Heinze? Oh, Chris Armas. Which one Armas. was worse? Chris Armas. It's not even close. Really? Yes. I, I agree with Connor because you, you literally took a second-place team in the Eastern Conference that was challenging for a supporter shield and destroyed them. Whereas Atlanta United already sucked when they <laughs> got here, you know? So like, it's very obvious, like, cause you know, Atlanta, you can make a case that the talent is not good enough, but in Toronto, the talent is clearly good enough to have a strong team when you have the league MVP reigning league MVP on your team. And so it's clear that Armis ran that thing into the ground. Also, Gabriel Heinze is Josh has been very clear on and tried to defend himself very hard. Um, which we're going to make fun of you in a second. With Atlanta, that was viewed as the right hire. When Chris Armas was brought in, that was not viewed as the best hire on the face of the planet when Toronto FC were being linked with guys like Patrick Vieira and Laurent Blanc. Uh, So right there, I think it puts TFC ahead on that front, albeit I don't want to be ahead on that front. Uh, TSC won. Congrats. Yes. I don't think I want to win the worst hire, but uh, that's sort of where I stand on it. Let's make fun of Josh now because, Josh, you had a hell of a weekend. Um, Let's just say. You're getting good Twitter engagement, though. That's good. Great Twitter (laughs) engagement. Uh, Why don't you give us a rundown on everything that happened and your emotions and thoughts as you saw continued spikes in engagement towards tweets that weren't exactly fond of you 
for the second time this year. Yep. So I was just hanging out at my family's house. Uh, I was getting ready to watch the NASCAR race with my dad. And I get a text from uh, my old coworker, who's also a big Atlanta United fan. And it was the the announcement that like I hadn't checked Twitter in like 10 minutes. And of course, in that 10 minute span that I hadn't checked is when the, the news dropped. So he sent me the tweet that Heinze was fired. And so I hop on Twitter and like I'm like just scrolling because, you know, everybody has something to say and everybody's giving their reaction. So I was kind of glued to my phone for a few minutes. And uh, then all of a sudden, as I'm scrolling through my timeline, I see me pop up. And it's, it was an article that I wrote for MLS multiplex. Uh, I believe the title was like why, uh, Gabriel Heinze is the perfect fit for Atlanta United. And so it first showed up from the Atlanta United out of context, Twitter account, which has an okay following They have about a thousand followers, a little less like 980 or something like that. So I see this because I follow them and I was like, ah, crap, like that, that's so embarrassing. Like I'm getting, I'm about to get dragged. And then that Twitter account credited where they first saw it, which was from an even bigger Twitter account, which was the MLS <laughs> images that preceded unfortunate events account, which has like 4,000 followers. So I hop on over there and I was like, oh my God, it's so much worse than I thought it was. So yeah, all of a sudden, like I just see this headline everywhere and I'm like, people are making fun of me and, and they're, I did get a lot of sympathy though. That was nice. Someone was like, it's okay. We all messed up. Like we, we all thought this was a, a great hire. My favorite response was my friend, Michael, he replied to the MLS images tweet and he was like, rip to my good boy, Josh Boland. He was like, you know, say a prayer for him, <laughs> rest in peace. So that was, that was pretty funny, but yeah, it was certainly unexpected. I was not expecting to be like, the headline and the account associated with what ended up being a, just an awful decision. (laughs) And this is the second time this year that you've been dragged by a take you've had. Yep. I'm over two right now. Right. I said, Heinze would be a perfect fit. And I said, why is everyone so high on the new England revolution? I, every waking second, that the revolution stay atop the Eastern Conference standings, I start to regret my take a little more. A little more. I'm still not out yet. You know, like I said a couple weeks ago, uh, there's still a lot of season left. We still have like two-thirds of the season to go, so things could happen. But at this point, it's not looking good for me, boys. (laughs) It's not looking good for any of us, considering last week's hot takes from us. Um, Although I will maintain my Montreal hot take is... Superb, but we'll get there. Uh, Let's shift to some less than positive news relating to my national team and my club because Iowa Canola is out for the season uh, or the year at least due to a torn ACL. We don't know how badly it's torn, which can range recovery time significantly. Um, But he's... Torn his ACL. He did it in the game against the U.S., which we're not going to talk about because I'll rant for 20 minutes, and that's just no. Um, but huge loss for TFC, huge loss for Canada. They're going to have to bring in a replacement, probably Taisho Akindele. Uh, but really, really tough blow for him, especially considering he was on the verge, potentially, of a move to Europe come this offseason with 
uh, there being some interest in Turkey uh, for his services. So his TFC stay will be extended probably a little longer as he recovers, but uh, I know he'll bounce back. He seems like he's in good spirits based on his Instagram post today. So hoping Io gets better and hoping he comes back to do great things for Toronto FC. So I can laugh as Toronto FC pass Atlanta United in the standings once again and show that we're a better club. But let's move to some signings and a signing that's very confusing to me and to all of us, mostly me, uh, because we don't quite understand how he's this is even going to be allowed. But here it goes, nothing. LAFC are bringing in Colombian striker Christian Aranjo. I believe is how you say his name. I have no idea. Uh, but reported fee is $2.5 million. Uh, he's a striker. He's apparently not going to be a DP because Brian Rodriguez is coming back to MLS. But I'm not 100% sure on how this is working. So... If either of you can shed any light on this, but based on our discussion before the podcast, you can't. Um, so what do you think about the signing for LAFC? They're sort of struggling right now. Uh, so do you think bringing in Aranjo is a good move or do you think this is a dumb signing? Where do you sort of stand on LAFC's decision to take advantage of the money that they have? Yeah, like it's it's a pretty interesting signing because you just figure at some point they're going to run out of options and there's only one ball and so many players you can put on the field. So having Aranjo, uh, Brian Rodriguez, Carlos Vela, Diego Rossi, whatever, um, it feels like eventually something's got to give here. And like you said, the DP situation, we were talking about how he isn't a DP before the podcast. And at, at the end of the conversation, we just all said, no one knows the rules, forget it. Let's just move on. So we don't really know how he's not a DP, but he's not a DP right now. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, you know, with Brian Rodriguez, I think we've talked a little bit about him moving. I totally forgot what club was linked to him. I think it was a club in South America, unless I am totally botching that. But it's hard for me to imagine he's going to stay after this. Again, if this does happen, I think this is just reported. It hasn't been made official yet. Um, because they both play in that front three. Um, I think Brian Rodriguez, he's kind of moved around a little bit. He's played in the right, he's played in the left, he's playing in the middle. Um, but Christian Araujo is pretty dead set on playing that center forward role in the middle of the field. So there's some kind of movement that Brian Rodriguez could move around to the wings, but then that asks the question, what are you going to do about Carlos Vela, Diego Rossi? So I personally don't think Brian Rodriguez is going to be in Los Angeles much longer. Um We've talked about a little bit before about him leaving to go to clubs, and I think this move kind of seals the deal on that. Unless Bob Bradley and the LAFC front office see something that we don't and that someone can make the move to midfield, I have no idea. But personally for me, I don't see Brian Rodriguez staying in Los Angeles very long because there's just a lot of attacking options. Someone's got to sit on the bench, and you didn't spend $2.5 million to have a guy ride the bench. You're certainly not going to put Carlos Vela on the bench. You're certainly not going to put Diego Rossi on the bench. Um, so I think Brian Rodriguez's days in L.A. are numbered, and I think it's not going to be much longer for him. Um, I think he'll go to another club with this signing. But, Josh, what do you think about it? What do you think this is going to do for LAFC? I don't know. I don't know that it'll do too much. Um, you know, they need, like, an out-and-out striker because, like, literally, okay, I, I take that back. They have Danny Masovsky, but other than that, they need they need a more 
consistent, proven striker, probably. Um, as for like the whole DP thing, since it's not being reported as a as a designated player, which I think Tom Bogert, Tommy Scoops, was the one I saw report about this signing. And since he's not saying it's a DP signing, I don't think it will be. Um, so I don't I don't think there's any sort of hang up with that. For Brian Rodriguez, though, I don't think this has a direct effect on him. But I'm in agreement with Drew. I don't think Brian Rodriguez is going to be on this team much longer. I think it's weird that he's even coming back in the first place. And, you know, he's out here saying, I'm excited to be back in L.A. and to get back with the, with my teammates on the field. And I'm ready to play in front of our supporters. And I'm looking forward to helping our team win. And it all feels really disingenuous to me. Um, I just don't. I think he's just saying the right things. I don't really know that he wants to come back. I don't know that LAFC want him back because he just never has really produced for the team in the way that you know is, is expected of him. So I'm expecting Brian Rodriguez to be on the move soon. Um, and as for Aranjo, I mean, LAFC are starting to get going again. Carlos Vela is looking like his old self. Um, and so they can only benefit from having another attacking piece, really. All right, and let's wrap up our transfer talk with Orlando Sinning and Orlando Sinning. Orlando City <laughs> bringing in a new left back, uh, specifically Argentinian defender Emmanuel Mass. Uh, he's 32, played for Boca Juniors, and has won the last two league, or he won two league titles in 2018 and 2020 uh, with Boca. So good signing, a little on the older side, but probably some good depth for Jean Moutinho. Um, maybe he can slot in on the right too. I'm not really sure if he's able to do that. Uh, but I think adding depth in this season is going to be big and I don't think it's very expensive. I want to say it's only a loan potentially. Is that right? Um, I don't, I don't remember actually. I will check. All right. So we'll just checks what Emmanuel Mass's move is. Um, Drew, Give us some of your thoughts on Mass coming into Orlando. How much of an impact do you think he's going to have, or do you think he's going to be more of a depth signing who sort of fills in if Moutinho or Rouen can't play? Yeah, I think, first off, random fact, but I started watching the Argentinian League this past weekend because it just started, and I get it with Paramount Plus because I got that for Champions League for NWSL. And that is like the most fun league in the world to watch. It is a crapshoot every week. It's like MLS gone South America. It's awesome. So highly recommend the Argentinian League with Boca Juniors. Um, but yeah, as far as Emmanuel Mas goes, I mean, I guess, yeah, left back. Like you said, he's 32. He's a little older. I think he's staying. I don't know if we have details on the transfer yet. I guess he's just staying until the end of the season. Or what's the what's the transfer deal like, Josh? Yeah, so it's a contract that runs through the remainder of this season and then with an option for an additional year. And um, it also says here that they're bringing him in because of um, injuries to Jalen Moutinho and Ruan. Um, they've been relying on Kyle Smith, who I've never heard of, and an 18-year-old homegrown defender. So that's exactly why they need him. But Yeah, so maybe this will be a push. Because Orlando City currently is sitting second in the Eastern third in the Eastern Conference, one point behind Philadelphia, but they have a game in hand. Orlando City has a game in hand. Orlando's tied with Montreal and Nashville on points with 13 games played. So maybe Orlando City is viewing this as a signing to push them over the top, have depth, like you said, because when it gets into 
more of these playing on Wednesday, playing on Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Thursday, Saturday, whatever games. Um, you're going to need a lot of fresh legs out there, and he's going to prov- help provide that. And if they want to make a run at MLS Cup, the more depth the better because you never know, you're, especially in these knockout tournaments, you're one injury away from the whole thing just falling apart on you. So, yeah, I think the screams making a push for MLS Cup. They made that run to the MLS's back final where they lost to Portland. But, yeah, not a whole lot to take from it. I guess it's kind of an experiment-type signing, see how he does this first season with the club and if they want to extend him. Um, yeah, Orlando City's been a really good sign. I think this is just a sign that they're going to try and push and try to go for an MLS Cup. Josh, do you have any takes on Emmanuel Mass joining Orlando City? Uh, we talked last week about the, the potential of Orlando losing uh, Chris uh, Chris Mueller and Daryl DK. This doesn't exactly solve that issue, but it still solves that whole outside back issue that they are dealing with. So to me, smart signing seems low risk, um, pretty, pretty solid reward, if not a high reward for them. So I think it's a good move for Orlando for sure. All right. And before we take a quick break, uh, some more positive news on the Canadian front as the day after, or two days after, our podcast went out, uh, no, three days after, two, three days after, uh, we recorded the podcast, Canada announced that the Canadian teams could return home. So Toronto hosted Orlando on Saturday, and Montreal hosted Cincinnati. Toronto will also be hosting Orlando, uh, not Orlando, uh, I can't remember who they're playing, but they'll be hosting again tomorrow night. Toronto has 7K fans for... Saturday, we'll have 15,000 for tomorrow. I'm not sure how many Montreal had, but Vancouver is still not home. Uh, they, there's been discussion and controversy and confusion surrounding their situation. Um, there were rumors that the reason they couldn't go back or reports they couldn't go back that it was due to BC Place, which is where they play, facing some renovations currently going on. Uh, but then there were reports saying that wasn't true. So I don't know what they're planning to do, but they're going to be back in August to September. Uh, so good to have the Canadian teams back. Although currently no non-vaccinated players or staff will be allowed to come to Canada. That is guaranteed. Um, and we said we talk about Eric Hurtado. I don't know if you guys want to or not, uh, but just sort of quickly... He was transferred from Montreal because he refused to get vaccinated uh, and therefore wouldn't really be usable for either away games or home games. So they sold him to Columbus Crew. And, um, and we have yet to hear what Toronto FC plan to do with Nick DeLeon because he's still currently in quarantine uh, due to his not getting vaccinated. Uh, but again, good signs. Canadian teams have come back to Canada and get to play at home for the first time since September against Canadian opponents and the first time having fans since last March, um, which is insane and just goes to show you how much difficult the last sort of year and a half has been for the Canadian MLS teams. But if either of you have no thoughts on this, we will take... Oh, yeah, Drew? Uh, Columbus does not go to Canada for the rest of the season. Interesting. But that could mean playoffs, obviously, but it looked like Columbus kind of knew what they were doing. 
signing for Toronto because they do not go to Canada. They play Montreal. I think it's the only Canadian team left on their schedule, but they play that game in Columbus later September. Wow, I didn't know that. That's very interesting. Hmm. Well, the more you know. So good pickup by Columbus, even if he is an anti-vaxxer. But we'll take a quick ad break uh, and we'll be back in one second. And we are back to talk some MLS games. Got a couple games on dock we're going to talk about in the wild, wild world of Major League Soccer. And we're going to start with one that was a big deal, a rematch of the Western Conference Finals from last year. As the King is dead, Minnesota United has defeated the Seattle Sounders. Finally, they decided to beat Seattle. Minnesota beat Seattle one nothing in Minnesota, Seattle's first defeat of the season. Now every team in the league has lost. Seattle and Nashville, the only teams in the league with one loss. So Seattle is done. Minnesota, though, defeating the clear-cut, I think, best team in the league, and guys, we talked about Minnesota a lot to start off the season because they went on a horrific start. I think they lost, what, four in a row, if I'm not mistaken, something crazy like that. And it was looking like they weren't going to be able to bounce back from that start. I think there was a stat that no team had ever done that and turn around and make the playoffs. But since then, Minnesota obviously being Seattle. Then they lost to Colorado last time. They tied San Jose. They beat Portland and Austin. So they've been Seattle and Portland in their past four games. More importantly, they beat Seattle. They have Portland again this upcoming week. So after this turnaround, Josh, are you convinced? Does this win against Seattle convince you that Minnesota and Adrian Heath, Adrian Heath has the underdogs piled up. They're riled up. They're ready to go. They defeat the best team in the league. Are you sold on Minnesota, and can they or will they make the playoffs after that bad start? Because right now, they are currently in sixth. They have 18 points. They are two points ahead of Portland in sixth place, and Portland is in that seventh spot. So are the Loons going to be playing Wonderwall a little bit more? Will they make the postseason? I I don't know. That was such an awful start to the season, and I can't remember the exact figure, but someone put up, you know, how many points per game they would need the remainder of the season just to make playoffs based on, you know, the history of, of what that number usually is to make the playoff line. And, uh, I don't know. I, I want to say no, Minnesota's not going to make the playoffs, but yeah, looking at their points per game and looking at, you know, there's kind of like a a cushion in front of Houston. Now, (laughs) If Houston wins this game tonight as we're recording, if they beat Vancouver, then all of a sudden they're up there in the top seven uh, and you still have Portland and RSL kind of waiting outside the the cutoff line to uh, sort of knock Minnesota out of there. So I want to say no, but they kind of fought their way back into this thing and that victory over Seattle, I mean, that's a huge deal. Winning, winning at home is important in MLS. Uh, because if you win your games at home, then you are you're all set basically um, to to get into the playoffs and to make a good run. Um, and they have a, a pretty solid home record. They've got four wins, two losses, and one draw. Um, and I think those two losses are from the beginning of the season when they were really struggling. So I guess I guess so, man. I think Minnesota might end up making the playoffs after all. Yeah, Minnesota. That's an interesting situation because. 
you know, you look at their points per game. They've played 13 games. They have 18 points. And, you know, I think, I don't know if when we were talking last week, we were talking about when we thought Seattle would lose. I don't know if any of us said that it was going to be against Minnesota. I think I said Dallas, just because that'd be the most MLS thing in the world for Seattle to lose to Dallas. But I didn't see this coming. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to say that they're not going to make the playoffs because, I mean, you look at, if you can beat Seattle, then who can, who, who can you not beat, right? So they beat the best team in the league at home. And it's hard... It's hard for me to say that they're not going to make the playoffs because, I mean, it's not like you beat Dallas at home. You know, you beat the best team in the league, you hung with them. And, yeah, I think there were a lot of expectations on Minnesota after blowing that lead to Seattle in the Western Conference Finals. So a lot of people were expecting this team to be MLS Cup favorites, you know, kind of ride Reynoso and see what he can do and get him deep in the playoffs and didn't start off well. But beating Seattle is obviously a big deal. So I think... I think they are going to make the playoffs. I think this is going to be the first. I think they're going to recover from that bad start. Um, I don't think they're going to be high up there. I think they might sit in the 6-7 hole that they found themselves in. But I think that one convinced me. I think they're going to make the playoffs. Connor, are you convinced that Minnesota is going to turn it around? That you think? Do you think Minnesota turned it around against Seattle, and do you think this team is going to make the postseason? Uh, yes, because looking back on our predictions, as you guys were sort of talking about earlier, um, I think we neglected to realize that the West sucks and especially the bottom teams in the West. So to make the playoffs, I don't think is that overly difficult at this point. Um, And I think with how good uh, Minnesota are, with how good Reynoso is specifically, I'm impressed. And I think we sort of counted them out a little too early in the season and they've gone on a good run. So you know, there's no reason they can't. Uh, I don't think Real Salt Lake are very good. I don't think Houston, Austin, San Jose, Vancouver. I'm a little torn on Vancouver, to be honest. But FC Dallas, I don't think any of those teams are very good. Um, the only one who I would be a little nervous about is Vancouver because I think with their potential new signing in Gold, um, could be a really good addition for them. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. Sitting at currently sixth in the in the west uh with 18 points pretty comfortable at right now so yeah i'm i'm happy with minnesota and i think they're gonna go on a pretty good push uh late this season and i expect them to make the playoffs if they don't i think it's a failure of their season even as terrible as the opening of the year was for them yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens in minnesota trying to recover from that really rough start, but obviously being Seattle, a big deal. But that was not the only game from this weekend. We had a couple crap shoots, a couple five-goal games. We're going to talk about one team that somehow scored four goals and managed to lose as the foot beat FC Cincinnati 5-4. to four. I think Cincinnati had a couple leads. I don't know. I was following that game. I was driving to the Nashville game watching this, and... Unfortunately, I have Montreal's goalie on my fantasy team. So when Brenner <laughs> just stole the ball from the goalie, I got negative points. So love that. Love that for my fantasy team. Um, but yeah, Montreal beats Cincinnati 5-4. to four. Montreal was down 2-0. Tied it up, go down again 4-2, and then take the lead to win 5-4. I 
Connor, this is a weird situation for you because on one hand, your your Montreal take is looking it was it looked pretty bad to start, but it's looking pretty pretty good now because they won, they beat Cincinnati. On the other hand, they let up four goals. So how do you feel about it? Are you happy with your Montreal take? And I think you've, you said you've been pretty high on Cincinnati's offense. You made it really clear you are high on Cincinnati's offense. Their defense is that of a middle school JV team. But you're high on their offense. How do you feel about your Montreal take right now with them getting three points in a very unconventional way? But how do you feel about your Montreal take right now? They don't ask how, they ask how many. And <laughs> there is no truer point for that saying than this game. Uh, Montreal allowed way too many goals to Cincinnati, but thankfully Cincinnati, as you said, is a middle school soccer team when it comes to defending. So um, <laughs> you know it's true, Josh. You know it's true. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I can't fight you on that at all. Yeah, uh, so, hey, they won, and I think it's impressive the way they did it, coming back from being down 2 nothing to tie it and then going down 4-2 and tying it again to then take the lead uh, late in the match. Look, Montreal, as I said at the beginning of the year, are a good team. People are really underrating them, uh, and I think everyone slotting them in at 14th were dumb because I don't think they quite understood the talent that they had. Um, are they fourth in the East good? I don't know about that but i think they're still a good team and i think they could potentially challenge for the playoffs late in the year and thankfully because their players aren't all superbly talented you know they're very deep team with sort of level talent throughout it they don't really lose anybody to international duty apart from like samuel piet so they keep a pretty full squad for the entire season uh, which I think is a big bonus when you look at what other teams are going to have to deal with. Uh, but yeah, I'm happy with my Montreal take and I'm happy with my Cincinnati take. I maintain that this team knows and is figuring out how to score their biggest issues, keeping the ball out of their net. And I don't think we're going to see that fixed anytime soon. Uh, but as long as they can score their way out of their defensive lapses, they could potentially make a run Although having already allowed 25 goals against is not good, especially when you consider their second last only above TFC who allowed seven goals in a game. Uh, so that's something they'll want to figure out, but I don't think they're necessarily a playoff team, but their offense is figuring out and is playing of a playoff caliber. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, so yeah, Cincinnati, good offense. Montreal, underrated, very underrated. Wolfer Nancy, good manager, uh, and appears to be a pretty good hire. Josh, you never liked my Montreal take. You still don't. Okay, well, they're fourth in the East, so. Where did you have them finishing? Do you remember? I think it was one spot out of the playoffs. Okay. Which yeah, it could happen, I think. It's not unreasonable. Uh, but, you know, who knows? The East is very tight right now. So you lose a game and a couple other teams win a couple and all of a sudden you're out of the playoffs. So who knows? But, Josh, where do you sort of stand on Montreal? Where do you stand on Cincinnati? Have at me. Uh, I still don't think Montreal are going to make the playoffs. Um, 
you know, you're talking about their talent and it's clear that they have a, a decent squad, but I'm still not convinced by them. I think, well, let me ask you this, Connor, who would you say is their best player? Like, who would you say is the star of their team? I don't think they have a star is the Boom. thing. That's it. That's all I needed. So in MLS, <laughs> in MLS, right? Like there are teams that can survive based on, you know, having solid talent, for example, like Montreal. But at the end of the day, in this league, you need that player or a couple of players that's going to take you over the edge. Um, I mean, with Toronto, it was Michael Bradley and Josie Altador and Sebastian Juvinko or Pozuelo with... Seattle, it's been Nico Ladero or Raul Ruiz Diaz, um, in addition to having a strong, you know, well-rounded squad. And I think Montreal have the well-rounded aspect of it. They've definitely got good young talent, um, you know, solid players that are a little bit older, like Victor Wanyama, um, you know, good guys that are in their prime, like Samuel Piet. Um, even though I know he didn't play this weekend for them since he was with Canada. But at the end of the day, they don't have, you know, those guys that are, <clears throat> are going to take them over the edge. So, like you said, Connor, I love what Wilfred Nancy is doing with the team because I think he's building a really good base for them, and this is something that they can build on for years now going forward. I think they have a really strong, um, you know, really strong core that they're building. But in terms of like this year, I don't. I'm not convinced that they can make the playoffs um, just because they don't have those guys that can take them over the edge. I would say this is the one year they could make the playoffs because I think with that them not having that star. They don't lose that star to international duty. So they keep their core pretty much the same apart from losing Samuel Piet. And I think with a se- in a season like this, that's going to be huge when you're going up against teams like Toronto FC, who've lost Richie Lorea, Io Akinola, Jonathan Osorio, could easily lose Josie Altador, Michael Bradley. They've lost Kamar Lawrence. You know, you're looking at teams who've been decimated by international duty requirements. Montreal doesn't have to deal with that. They can just continue to build that team chemistry. So I think of all seasons for them to make the playoffs, it's this one. That's fair. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good point. And to be honest with you, I'm looking at the standings now and I'm trying to think, you know, what's a team that could displace Montreal from the top seven? I think there's a strong case to be made for DC, maybe kind of an argument for Red Bulls, but I don't know. And I, I still want to believe that Toronto can come back and make the playoffs, but they are really far down the standings right now. But you never know. Could, like Honestly, they could take you know their next two wins, and all of a sudden they're only a couple points out of the top seven. So, But, yeah, I mean, that's a, good, that's a good point, honestly, that this might be the year for Montreal to do it. But I, I am really excited for them in the future going forward just because of, again, just how great of a job that Nancy's done and what they're, you know, in terms of the young talent that, what would I say? Uh, Drew's reaction of Houston just hit the post on a beautiful free kick. Oh, who oh. took that free kick? That's a great question that I will <laughs> answer momentarily. <laughs> it, who even takes? I couldn't name a player on that squad at this I, point. I would say maybe uh, Darwin uh, Quintero, but I don't know. He is still there. Who isn't else he? is he still? Yes, but I doubt he's starting for them at this point. He probably shouldn't be. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, Memo Rodriguez. Is, is taking it for him? Who knows? But they're playing... Maxi Aruti. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I forgot he played. Former Montreal player. There we go. 
And he plays for Houston now, who are currently playing Vancouver as we speak. And that brings us to our next game from this past weekend, oh, which was Vancouver that against Los Angeles <laughs> Galaxy. <laughs> I was waiting, man. I was waiting. Uh, Vancouver Whitecaps beat LA Galaxy 2-1. Uh, the Galaxy are still missing Chicharito, which is probably the biggest player for them, although Victor Vasquez had himself a game. Wonderful assist on the Galaxy's only goal. Um, I didn't really get a chance to see this game. I'm not sure if you guys did. I'm assuming this was a late-night Saturday night game because it was the two West Coast teams. Um, but someone put in here, are we starting to see the Galaxy's true colors and are Vancouver good? I'm going to go ahead and give some short answers to these. I don't think we're necessarily seeing the Galaxy's true colors. Again, they don't have Chicharito, and they they need players to step off, or step off. They need players <laughs> to step up for them. <laughs> they need players to step up for them, and I'm not ready to seal the door on those players that they brought in just yet. I think we should still give them a little bit more time to see if they can step up in the absence of Chicharito or in addition to Chicharito. And then as for Vancouver... We talked about them either last week or the week before, but they are still struggling. I think it was a good win for them, and I think it saves Mark Dos Santos's job for a little while longer, but I still think he's going to be fired before the end of the season. Um, and I don't know, maybe once they get back home, it'll help them in the long run, but I'm still not convinced by Vancouver just yet. What do you think? This is completely off base, but they're bringing in that new Scottish attacking midfielder. Have you yeah. seen that? How much of an impact? What's his name again? Something like Ryan Gold, maybe. Oh yeah, I know, I know who you're talking something about. Something Gold. How much of an impact do you think he's going to have on their late season push? Because he sounds like really good. Since I don't know anything about him, and because I frankly don't know that much about the type of players Vancouver brings in in general, um, I could say the same for Montreal too. I for some reason I I can't keep up with all their. Um, under the radar signings that they make in the off season, but I'll, I'm, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to do the cop out here and say, I'll, you know, I'll wait and see what kind of effect <laughs> this guy has on Vancouver. Um, but with the way you're framing that question, I am excited at the potential that this could be a season changing signing, but with Vancouver's recent track record in terms of signings, I'm not expecting much out of it. It's their long wanted, long desperately needed, number 10 too so that is true maybe that'll have a huge impact i'm still high on them i think they could make some noise in the second half of the season but with lucas cavallini probably having to go on international duty we'll see drew you're a resident vancouver whitecaps fan because you you're half the team at this point (laughs) where do you stand we'll start with la galaxy where do you stand on la galaxy do you think we're starting to see their true colors as a team who's very susceptible to not playing well if Chicharito's not playing. Uh, and do you think Vancouver are this good, or do you think this is a one-off game? Yeah, I think I'm going to start with the Galaxy. I'm not really convinced on the Galaxy. I mean, they're currently sitting in third in the Western Conference with 24 points. Colorado's right behind them with 21 points. Colorado does have a game in hand. I think it's interesting because obviously losing Chicharito is a massive deal. He was tearing it up. I think he's still leading the league in goals. I think he's tied with Rui Diaz with 10 goals right now, something like that. He's up there at least. And the Galaxy's just stretch of results, I think, have kind of confirmed that they're a better side in the Western Conference, but they're not at, 
uh, Seattle or SKC level, right? They beat, um, before losing to Vancouver, they beat Dallas pretty single-handedly. They lost SKC. They beat San Jose. They beat Vancouver about a month before, and they lost to Seattle. So I think they're a solid postseason team, but I think when they play the best teams in the Western Conference, the Seattles, the SKCs, they're not at that level yet, but they're a solid beat the teams you should beat. And then, I mean, who knows? I mean, that kind of play when you add a striker like Chicharito, who hopefully if he comes back, when he comes back, he'll be in the same form he was in prior to the injury because he's been through a lot, obviously. And seeing him succeed in the league is pretty cool to see. But I'm not – I think we're sort of figure out who this team is, that they're a solid middle, above average Western Conference team, maybe make the playoffs as a four or a five, something like that, maybe get hot at the right time. And who knows what happens when you get hot in this league, in the playoffs, MLS Cup, something like that. But I think we're starting to see this isn't the best team in the Western Conference, but they're definitely worse teams. They play teams that are worse than them, and they beat them as they should. So as far as Vancouver goes, I'm not sold on Vancouver. I think this is more of a one-off game. Um, I mean, they lost to the Galaxy not long before this. They got thumped by RSL. They drew with Dallas, drew with Seattle, which was good, and then lost to the Galaxy. So this is their first win in a really long time, actually. Um, holy cow, I'm still scrolling. So they won in May 8th. <laughs> Whoa! Uh, May 8th. L, 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 L. Draw, draw, L. This is their first win since May 8th. So, no. Unfortunately, I don't think they're very good. But if they beat Houston tonight... That doesn't change my answer, but it makes me feel a little bit better because they have sick uniforms. So I don't think they're very good. They went in the long stretch without winning. And credit to them for beating the Galaxy, but I'm not sold on them yet. All right. Let's wrap the show because it's been going for a while and Drew needs to go to bed because for some reason he wants to get up at 3.30 in the morning. Um, you don't get to watch the world champs every day, Connor. Well, yeah, he doesn't because he's a Canadian. <laughs> All right. That's two goals of the week, Josh. Why don't you go first? Ooh, I don't know why you did that because I could steal the one that you put down that I originally wanted to do. Well, it's written down in on paper, so. Um, I will not be a jerk and I will not steal it from Connor. <laughs> um, but I went with the Darlington Nagby chip. Um, I think I said this to you guys in the Slack. But how ironic was it that Atlanta United couldn't score a goal against the New England Revs, who they beat 7 nothing years ago, by the way, on a Joseph Martinez hat trick. So Martinez is iced out of the squad. And then on that same on the same day that they lost to the Revs this past weekend, former Atlanta United star Darlington Nagby has a beautiful solo uh, solo run. He like bodied a dude and then shipped it. And then former Atlanta United player who scored a goal against the Revs on that 7-0 night. He scored for Emil Assad. He scored for DC United on Saturday as or on Sunday as well. So super ironic that Atlanta United couldn't do anything. But I went with Darnest and Agby. Very, very awesome chip from him. Drew, very obvious answer from you for you. But who was your goal of the week? I went... With Hani Mukhtar's uh, free kick goal, it was his third in 16 minutes, the fastest in league history, as when he hit that, the press box freaked out, and it was pretty wild. It was a wild game. He played really well, as I talk about him more in a second, but I got there before you guys, so haha. but I went with Hani Mukhtar's free kick. It was a golazo. It was awesome. He's now has seven goals on the season, so 
Ani Mukhtar looked like he's going to get hot in Nashville's big win. So with Mukhtar's free kick against Chicago in their 5-1 win, the most goals they've ever scored in MLS, and the largest margin of victory the team has had in MLS. So I went Mukhtar's free kick. Connor, what goal did you steal from Josh for your goal of the week? Well, if you get to the document early, uh, as I never do, but for the first time I did today, you get the second best goal of the week, which was Carlos Vela's volley uh, against RSL. Beautifully hit over the keeper, who probably should have saved it. Um, just a really nice goal from Vela. Really impressive um, to give them the win, too, uh, late in the match. So I went Carlos Vela. Let's do players of the week. Uh, I feel like all of ours are going to be, all of us were going to be uneventful, but I'm going with somebody secret who you don't know yet, and I'm going to tell you live on the podcast, but I'm going to go last for that. So we'll go with the person whose vote actually matters first. Josh, who did you do for your players of the week? Yeah, I picked Ani Mukhtar. I mean, dude made history with the second fastest hat trick in MLS history. Um, um, so yeah, super obvious with that pick, and he ended up winning player of the week. But my second pick was um, Ahmed Hamdi, who scored the fourth and fifth goals for Montreal. And yeah, I mean, obviously really clutch goals from him. And be really exciting if this ended up being kind of a breakout for him. He was one of those uh, kind of random dudes that, Montreal picked up over the offseason where it was like, who are these guys? Where's this guy from? Uh, so good to see him start contributing for them. And I think he subbed on too. So it was a very important brace from him. So he got my second pick. Drew, in a shocking pick, and you called dibs even though it didn't work out for you. Who was your player of the week? Yeah, never called dibs because Josh will just rip it out <laughs> from you. But I went with Honey Mukhtar as my player of the week. Yeah, he won. Um, phenomenal performance. It was one of those when the first chance happened, I thought this was not going to go in, but he found a way to get in the back of the net and the stadium correctly exploded when that happened. So that was pretty awesome to see in person. So I went with Hani Mukhtar is my player of the week. Connor, your pause, but I'm going to ask you anyway, the secret person, I have no idea who I think it is at all. It's probably going to be some weird defensive midfielder who, or is it going to be like the backup goalie? Or is it going to be Toronto's manager? I have no idea. But Connor, who is your secret person player of the week? Well, I will get to why I paused in a second. Um, but it's actually not a player at all. It's someone who you both hate, who's given us a lot of content over the last few days. Uh, if it's Chris Armis, I swear. It's even better. If it's, ga- it's even better. Gabriel Heinze. For what? the unbelievable amounts of content that he gave us and showing that <laughs> as they both look at me like they want to kill me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm setting my alarm for 3 a.m. right now, and I'm still more upset at that than I am at me setting my alarm. Uh, just for the amount of content that he's given us and for... Should have been Frank DeBoer. No. No, because he's he's. <laughs> we're gonna have ample opportunity when you rehire him. Oh no, there's not a freaking chance that that's happening. <laughs> I oh man, uh, I might have to do something about covering up this Atlanta United tattoo if they rehire Frank DeBoer. Oh <laughs> uh, poor Josh. Uh, so yes, I went with uh, Gabriel Heinze just because it's hilarious. But the reason I paused and I'm gonna pause again is because the U.S. men's national team just tweeted. 
Defender Walker Zimmerman has been ruled oh, no. out for Gold Cup 2021 with a hamstring strain. Oh, Defender okay. Henry Kessler and forward Cade Cowell will begin training with the team on Wednesday in Dallas. Ooh, That's exciting. Are be super excited about Cade Cowell getting added to the team. At this point, no official requests for roster changes have been submitted to CONCACAF. Teams can replace injured players up to 24 hours before their quarterfinal. So Cade Cowell and uh, who was the other guy? Henry Kessler have been called into U.S. Men's National Team camp. We will see which one replaces Walker Zimmerman. Uh, maybe there's a second injury, which is why Cowell was brought in. It's going to uh, be Kessler. Potentially. Kessler is a defender from the Revs. Yes, but why would they bring in Cade Cowell? Replacing another one of my favorite teams. This is all. It's all a circle, man. Revs replace a Nashville player. It's all a circle. Paul Ariola is hot. Uh, is is hurt as well. He's a winger. There you go. So that'll be if Kate, um, Paul Ariola is done for the tournament as well. So a couple big U.S. men's national team news stories right there. Just breaking at the end of the pod. But let's wrap up with our games to watch. We've got, been going for eighty-five minutes. This is again a very long podcast. Uh, but Josh, what is your game to watch? I am going to go with NYCFC versus Orlando uh, Sunday on, at 6 p.m. Yeah, I mean, these are two teams above the playoff line. Uh, they have already faced each other earlier this year. If I remember correctly, that ended 1-1. Um, and I think that was when Nani had one of his signature bangers where he cuts in on his right foot and whips it in across. So... Um, I'm interested to see them uh, face off again. And, you know, there's a little bit of history between these teams after their absolutely amazing playoff game from last year with one of the most epic free uh, uh, penalty shootouts of all time. So hopefully it's a good match. And these are, you know, again, two Eastern Conference playoff teams that I'm I'm interested to see, like, who's going to prevail between these two guys. All right, Drew, what's yours? I win with uh, the New England Revolution versus Montreal on Sunday night. Um, New England still sitting atop the East in Montreal, coming off that crapshoot win. Trying to see if there's a little validity to Connor's hot take about the impact of Club de Foot Montreal. I apologize. Um, yeah, but if they beat the Revs, that that gives Connor a lot of a lot of credibility on his hot take for Montreal. So I'm excited to see what they can do against the best team in the Eastern Conference. Connor, you have a good one. I can't believe I missed it, but who is your game? What is your game of the week this weekend? I was about to say, I was shocked you didn't take this one because you got to the dock first. Uh, but I went with Seattle versus Sporting KC Sunday night. Battle of the first and second place teams in the West. So we will see who will come out on top. Obviously, Seattle coming off their first loss of the season. Well, so we'll see whether or not they can rebound. Uh, but huge, huge game Sunday night. It's a good week in the games. Uh, so, yeah, I guess if we don't have anything else, anything breaks last minute like the U.S. news, uh, Drew, you can take us out. Yes, thanks again so much, guys, for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. As always, be sure to visit the website at MLSMultiplex.com for a lot of awesome written content. 
that our writers produce. Uh, specifically, there was an awesome article that Connor got to be a part of this week where a lot of the staff members got to join up and create their MLS All-Star ballot as voting closes pretty soon, if it didn't already close. Um, but the All-Star game coming up next month, which we'll surely talk about more as the All-Star game approaches. But Connor and some other awesome writers got to form their All-Star team, so visit that article on the website. You can find... The website on Twitter at MLS Multiplex to see stories as they are tweeted. So follow the website at MLS Multiplex. And you can follow us to find all of our written stories and all of our wonderful soccer takes that inevitably will come back to bite us in the butt later, but it's fine. It's awesome. You can find Josh, the hot Twitter man, at Josh underscore Boland to see his tweets, fire tweets that will inevitably come back and get him. You can find Connor ranting about the Seattle Kraken, taking his favorite players probably soon, at Connor CWG Somerville. And you can find me tweeting about Nashville. And that's about it. At underscore Drew Hubbard. Um, so be sure to follow us on Twitter. And yeah, thanks again so much for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. And be sure to tune in next week because we will have another awesome episode wrapping up the crazy world of MLS. And we will talk to you then. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast. Check out all of the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.